Today on Understanding Immigration, record-breaking apprehensions and the Chris Magnus hearing. People are hopping on flights from all across the world, coming to a place that doesn't have you know, strict visa requirements and then trekking up to the U.S.-Mexico border, hoping that they can be caught and released. He has no federal law enforcement experience. He has no experience running an organization of this size. And I think he is going to be in for just a huge culture shock. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Welcome to episode 44 of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Matthew Tregesser, FAIR's press secretary, and joining me today is Preston Hennekins, FAIR's government relations manager. Today, the two of us will discuss border encounter figures from the 2021 fiscal year. They just came out, and there's a lot to dissect from them. We'll also examine President Biden's new asylum rule, which is expected to facilitate more asylum fraud and encourage even larger waves of migration at our southern border. And finally, in the last portion of this episode, we'll react to the Chris Magnus Senate confirmation hearing. President Biden has nominated Magnus to serve as the next commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, also referred to as CBP, which is the largest federal law enforcement agency in the country and oversees much of the southern border. So let's begin. There's lots to talk about, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. So Preston, CBP just released final border and counter totals for the 2021 fiscal year. More than 1.7 million illegal aliens were encountered at the southern border this fiscal year. This is an all-time record, all-time high, and a more than 1 million increase from the previous fiscal year. So what is your instant reaction to this? I mean, this is clearly unsustainable, um, and this is uh, something that we cannot be having in the first year of a new administration. Yeah, I think my first reaction to this is that this is entirely due to the policies that Joe Biden put in place after he became president. He inherited one of, you know, the border wasn't fantastic, obviously, but there were at least mechanisms in place that stopped, the, you know, this insane number of illegal aliens that we're seeing today. You know, we had the migrant protection protocols, which kept people physically out of the U.S., even when they were applying for asylum. Uh, obviously, Title 42 was in place and still is to a degree um, because of what was happening with COVID-19. And we also had the asylum agreements with Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, which were starting to finally be put in place that were keeping asylum-seeking aliens in the Northern Triangle. Rather, you know, th that was before they even get, came up through Mexico and, and got to the border in the first place. And when Joe Biden took all of these away except for Title 42, that created a huge incentive for people to rush to the border. Obviously, he had spent the better part of two years campaigning that he was going to amnesty every illegal yep. alien in the country. Um, so that's really my first reaction is that uh, it's, and I don't mean to sound partisan on this, but it's entirely Joe Biden's fault. You know, the border was under control. And as soon as he stepped foot in the Oval Office, he broke it. No, you're, you're exactly spot on. I mean, this is a direct self-inflicted uh, border crisis. You know, something that struck me about these numbers that we haven't really seen in recent years is the change of demographics of the type of people who are crossing unlawfully. So in recent years, it's generally been family units, unaccompanied minors. They still represent a large portion of this fiscal year's totals. But now the vast majority of people are single adults. Why the change? Do you have any estimations as to you know why this is suddenly a different demographic? So I actually think that for years, I don't suppose there's any data to, to back this up, but I think for years it was seen as the easiest way to get into the U.S. 
was to be a part of a family unit or to be you know an unaccompanied minor uh-huh. and to and to apply for asylum. It it was very rare for single adults to go through that process and succeed. And and also mainly because our our immigration enforcement laws are really targeted towards single adults. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were put in place in the 90s and in the early 2000s when that was the single greatest share of people coming to the border. And so I think a lot of it was that maybe they hadn't even necessarily stopped coming, but that the the share of family units and children who were coming and claiming asylum just dwarfed their numbers. But now I think you see again the incentive to come with Biden in office Mm -hmm. where he was saying, regardless of who you are, we're going to legalize you. We're going to get you into the asylum system. We're going to get you in in before immigration judges. And I think many people said, well, this might be my best chance. So I'm going to take advantage of it and get to the border. And so I think maybe the numbers haven't necessarily changed, but the share of people of more Mm -hmm. single adults coming in has. What about the role that COVID played in these home countries? Obviously, they, they've decimated a lot of economies, including our own. I mean, it's not like our economy is strong by any means. Um, but do you think that kind of encouraged people to say, hey, I'm leaving Mexico and leaving the Northern Triangle? I'm, you know, the COVID situation has made me you know, jobless, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's what persuaded them to come up as well? I mean, we saw this with Haiti, for instance. There are a lot of Haitians in Chile, um, Argentina, Brazil, who yeah. came up for that exact reason. COVID decimated the economies in those countries, and now they're, they're looking for more work and better job wages. Yeah, so, so I think it absolutely has, has an effect. And t- to his credit, I actually think that this began before Biden became president because you actually started to see, um, for instance, in the fiscal 2021 data, what is it, four, of the, four or three of those months are when Trump was in office mm-hmm. and when it was still his political appointees he, all of those efforts at the border were still in place, and we saw that apprehensions were starting to rise. And I do think a lot of that is because conditions were starting to worsen in these other countries, and they were saying to themselves, "Well, it can't get it, it can't possibly be any worse in you know at the Mexican-U.S. border than it is in Guatemala, where the, the economy essentially was non-existent uh, mm-hmm. because of COVID." And I think at first under COVID, and we saw this in in fiscal 2020, where the apprehensions were so low. And I think a lot of that was because people were scared of traveling, because traveling in huge groups when COVID was really tearing through communities, tearing through countries across the globe. But after those kind of initial first waves, a lot of people had already had it, or not maybe not necessarily in Central America, but in some other countries had access to the vaccines. And it was like, why wouldn't I make an, you know, make an effort to get to the U.S., um, mm-hmm. even though we had Title 42 in place and under Trump we had these other efforts. So I, I, I don't see how it couldn't be because of COVID that a lot of these people saw an opportunity and took it. Sure. Um, you know, going back on these the border apprehensions here, we saw a lot of migration from extracontinental continental countries, including from India, China, Russia, even Turkey. And we're talking about thousands of people, not just, uh, you know, a couple dozen. You know, do you expect this trend to continue under the Biden administration? Uh, you know, this has always existed under many administrations, people coming from across the world. 
But it seems like, and, and the data speaks for itself, that this is becoming a bigger trend now. I mean, people are hopping on flights from all across the world, coming to a place that doesn't have you know strict visa requirements, and then trekking up to the U.S.-Mexico border, hoping that they can be caught and released and then never to be seen again. I mean, do you expect this trend to continue during these uh, next three years under Biden? Oh, absolutely. I think it'll continue, and I think it'll get worse. The, the first thing is that this should really show us how broken our asylum system is. Because if someone is flying in from Russia, flying in from Russia, landing in Mexico or Costa Rica or wherever, and then trekking up through Central America, through Mexico, and then applying for asylum, I mean, if, if that's not a reason for us to limit our asylum to Mexico and Canada, I don't know what is. Because that is that is completely ridiculous that someone who should count as a refugee at that point but even though you know there's there's not refugees from Russia, but it, it's just so silly, and it, 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 I don't see how people can look at this and think that we have a functioning asylum system. the The other point I would make is why it's going to get worse is that I think as we start seeing the U.S. end its travel bans with other countries regarding to COVID, so a lot of European countries, right. a lot of countries in Asia, um, countries in Africa, um, in South America you're going to start seeing people who are going to say, well, I'm not even going to fly into Mexico. I'm just going to fly into the U.S. and meet up with my relatives there and just never leave. Mm-hmm. And and if you can apply for asylum doing that, even better, because then you have the chance of getting a work permit. Uh, you'll have some sort of quasi-legal status in the U.S. for two to three years, depending on how long your court case is going to take. So I think it's going to get a lot worse once we see these these travel bans start to to rescind and again it's i think going back to my first point it's a reason for us to rethink our entire asylum laws um the way they are because they really shouldn't apply to any of these people who should be going to other neighboring countries you know we should only have asylum laws for mexico and canada um so speaking of asylum president biden has a new asylum rule and it's drawing a lot of criticism. Um, his administration just announced a new asylum rule that allows asylum officers, again, these are the most open borders contingency in the federal government, to grant full and immediate asylum at our southern border. Uh, the administration is essentially proposing to circumvent our immigration courts and direct these asylum officers to get uh, as many people as possible into the country. It's a very streamlined process. So this rule is expected to facilitate asylum fraud and encourage even more mass migration at a time where you know, border encounters are at historic highs. The COVID pandemic is still here. So can you touch on what exactly this rule is and does? And, you know, should Americans be concerned? Yeah, so Americans should be very concerned about this new rule. Uh, so to explain the process briefly, what happens when you, uh, when you, if you're an illegal alien, you get to the border, you apply for asylum, you speak with an asylum officer, and their job is pretty much to write down the story that you've told them. So, you know, I'm a battered spouse or I am fleeing because the gangs threatened me back in San Salvador. Uh, and I lived, you know, my, my cousin was killed by the gangs. Mm-hmm. My brother was tried to, re- was, you know, they forced him to be a part of the gang. Like, so they, they take all this information down. But then their role pretty much ends right there. This information is then given to the immigration courts, which are a part of the Justice Department. And when the, the illegal alien is, is fighting removal through asylum, this information all comes up in their court hearing. 
and the judge pretty much takes it into account. The you know ICE will prosecute and say, well, you know we we don't think this person has a claim. This is why if the illegal alien has has counsel retained, they'll argue and and produce documentation why that's why they why this is a real claim and why all these claims are real and all that sort of stuff. So this proposed change by the Biden administration takes the courts out of it entirely. Mm -hmm. And so these asylum officers, who many of them come from backgrounds in social work and that kind of thing, so they're predisposed to believe everything these people tell them, they are the ones who then would decide whether or not you have a credible asylum claim. And it would be very difficult under the rule to challenge it. Mm -hmm. And so you're pretty much, you're giving people who are inclined to believe everything that these illegal aliens tell them, you're giving them the power to say whether or not their claims are real or not. So unlike what we currently have, where about 90% of cases end up rejecting asylum, you know, immigration courts in about 90% of cases end up rejecting asylum because they end up finding out, you know, no surprise that none of these claims are real and that they're extremely fabricated. All these people want is to be in the U.S. for economic reasons. The asylum officers are not going to... It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be closer to 90% of them are granting asylum and there's no... You know, they don't have to provide any info. They don't have to do anything. It's pretty much just the alien's word. So this would be a, a, a complete disaster and it would make our asylum system even worse than it already is. I mean, we, we've we talked on this program number of times about how many ch how we need changes to asylum, and, and this would be just a disaster, frankly. You know, I, I can't imagine these asylum officers have the same credentials or experience as, you know, these judges have in, in these immigration courts under DOJ. I mean, these are, I, I respect what they're doing. We're not obviously doing it. We're in D.C., but, I mean, it, you just have to see that there's a, a big difference. And I mean, is it clear that there is a big difference in terms of the experience, education levels, generally speaking, uh, between the two groups? Oh, yeah. Well, for one, you know, at least an immigration judge has has won. They, they've gone through law school. They've had to pass the bar. They've had to retain their bar membership. Judge, you know, judges cannot be overtly partisan. They, they, they legally cannot support candidates. They can't, they can't do these things. So in, in the courtroom, they also have they are looking at the case from the perspective of a judge. They are judging whether the case is meritorious or not. Mm -hmm. Even if some even if some judges are more aggressive in requiring sure. documentation, some of them more may be more lenient. But at the end of the day, they're they're still immigration judges. Mm -hmm. Asylum asylum officers are are not that way at all. They're they're people that majored in political science in undergrad and this is, you know, this is their first job out of school. And they're they're social they're social workers. I mean, that, that they do not have the qualifications necessary at all to to judge on these cases. I'm right. not saying they don't have the qualifications to to intake potential asylees. We're not saying that at all. And that that is their role. Their role is to intake these people, get their information, document what the alien has told them, and present it. And, and move it along in the court process. They are in no way qualified to determine whether this is this is true or whether we should grant this this incredible immigration benefit to people right off the bat. And and plus, you know, this is a, a whole new 
type of system that, that they'd have to learn on the spot. And it comes at a time where, again, you're, you know, processing so many people. I mean, how are you, how are you not stressed? How do you keep everything organized? I mean, just, you know, if this was during a slow period, okay, that's one thing. But this is a historic border crisis. Uh, obviously, bandwidth is, is shorter. But yeah, th that, that really is concerning this rule. But I think one last element I want to talk about this specific rule is that it allows DHS to parole illegal aliens when, quote, detention is unavailable or impracticable. That seems vague and broad to me. I'm sure it seems like that to you. Um, don't you think this could be exploited and, and be ripe with abuse? I mean, it, it, this is not clearly defined. Right, and it's. I think it's actually kind of nefariously so because they are... Let's we'll rewind to early um, early in the Biden administration. The Biden administration has significantly scaled back the number of immigration detention beds that we have. And that process actually started under Trump as well, because when the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives, they would slash funding for more detention beds. So, you know, we're seeing we saw 1.7 million apprehensions of illegal aliens in this past fiscal year. We don't have 1.7 million detention beds. No, we, we've got <laughs> we don't close. we don't even we don't have anywhere close to that. There's and that's actually why catch and release is such a problem is because th the government knows we cannot possibly detain the number of people that are coming through the southern border, and that's why. When under President Trump, that's why they were trying their best to keep people in Mexico and keep them in the Northern Triangle while their cases were going through the asylum courts, because we have no choice but to release them, right. essentially. And that's why they eventually end up just going to wherever their families are, and they're never seen from again. Actually, th this 1.7 million figure is even larger when you consider the gotaways, which Border exactly. Patrol yeah. estimated to be 400,000 for the fiscal year. So that's almost 2 million people. I mean, that's, again unprecedented. Uh, we've never seen that before. Um, but yeah, this asylum rule is just, it's dangerous. It, it's its not going to help with anything to help regain control of our southern border, to deter illegal immigration, uh, to you know keep our keep the integrity in our asylum system intact. I mean, it's clearly broken, like we talked about before you talked about. It's broken. Well, and something, something too, and I, we'll just finish on this, is like, this is also a complete response to this rule is is made in response to the backlogs that we have in the immigration courts so it's it's addressing a symptom of the problem without addressing the cause mm -hmm. so they're saying oh we have too many cases there's not enough immigration judges so let's give these particular cases to these completely unqualified people that's cr that's crazy that we're that our government is essentially throwing their hands in the air and giving up because they don't have the bandwidth or they don't want to give, you know, Eeyore, the immigration court system, they don't want to give them the bandwidth to properly prosecute these cases. It's it's ridiculous that this is even being proposed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this rule, as I'm sure you know, was submitted by the Department of Homeland Security as well as the Department of Justice. But let's focus on DHS now. One person who could be leading a large agency uh, within DHS is named Chris Magnus. Uh, he is currently the police chief of Tucson, Arizona, and has an extensive law enforcement background. Uh, President Biden has nominated him to serve as the next uh, Customs and Border Protection Commissioner. And CBP, like I said, is the largest federal law enforcement agency in the nation and oversees mainly our border security, but also deals with uh, trade, customs, and immigration. 
So Preston Magnus just had his uh, Senate confirmation hearing uh, last week, and they didn't take a vote here, but senators asked him a number of questions that, quite frankly, provoked some strange responses from him. Um, what are your thoughts on this hearing, some of the comments he made, um, and how he handled these questions? Yes, yeah, so I actually thought that uh, Magnus was a little bit out of his element during this hearing. For instance, we've seen uh, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, a slick operator when he's in front of Congress. Mm -hmm. he, he is very articulate, very direct. He knows how to deflect when he needs to, uh, you know, to, and we've criticized him on that, but he's very good at it. He's very good at not committing to any kind of comment that's going to bite him mm -hmm. in the ass later. Chris Magnus, you could tell this guy was not prepared to be in front of a congressional hearing. Um, he, not at all. He, he said multiple things that I think the Biden administration would be kind of upset about. He, for, yes. At one point, yeah. he remarked that he thinks the border wall is appropriate in mm -hmm. some areas, which I'm sure Mayorkas was... Shaking I, his head. I, yeah, <laughs> I would say tearing out his hair, but he doesn't have any. Uh, but um, he was probably very disappointed to hear that. At one point, he, he didn't quite deflect on whether or not there was a crisis, but he did say he was like... He did the classic hands in the air. Oh, we can call it a challenge. big problem, a big yeah. challenge. And so I, I wanted to kind of have you maybe respond because I know that you wrote a piece on our blog site for this yes. about yeah. some of his crazy responses. Um, so he almost oscillated from responses that would piss off the administration and then back to responses that pissed off people like us who want to see more enforcement, want to see it, the, the law dutifully enforced on the books. Uh, so yeah. tell us a little bit about that. No, I mean, yeah. you mentioned two big ones, you know, support for continued uh, border wall construction. He also talked about, he admitted, conceded that sanctuary jurisdictions, which he fully supports, openly supports, um, that they're, they are serving as, as pull factors for illegal migration to the country. Uh, he showed support in that hearing for Title 42, again, that public health order that can quickly expel illegal aliens during uh, disease outbreaks. Uh, he showed support for it, even though Mayorkas and uh, Biden do not. You know, what else did he talk about? Oh, talking about how illegal aliens should be immunized before being released into the country. Oh, that's right. I, I mean, mean, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> there's, right now, the Biden administration is releasing COVID-positive illegal aliens into the country. They're, not, they're in some sectors administering COVID tests, but in, lar in many portions, large portions, they're not. And so, yeah, that was very interesting for him to say that too. But yeah, just kind of, again... None of these things that he were that he was saying aligned with the Biden administration's platform, their vision, or what they've implemented so far. I mean, it was the antithesis of that, which was strange because this guy is going to be, you know, working for the administration, overseeing the border mainly. And yeah, it, it just seemed like now here's the other th element to this too: is does he really mean any of these comments that he said? Probably not. You know, he's getting grilled by senators. There's a large media presence. He feels uncomfortable. He's just trying to say anything to get out of the situation. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important to note that, yeah, he said these things, but, you know, in a couple months, who's going to remember what he said and call him out for, hey, you said you sh showed support for the border wall and now you're, you're, you're halting it again. So I take it with a grain of salt, but it was interesting to see, like, wow, he, he was, everything he was saying was not in line with what the Biden administration was or has been advocating for. Right. And, and I think this all comes back to the fact that he is he is a fish out of water. He has no federal law enforcement experience. Mm -hmm. He has no experience running an organization of this size. And I think he is going to be in 
for just a huge culture shock when yeah. he gets to if he's confirmed like we assume he will be yeah. given the makeup of the senate but assuming that he'll be confirmed he's going from leading the tucson arizona police department yeah i think there's like to, a thousand people yeah it was, it was i think it's like two thousand right? oh, okay. and well, um, it's small or, but it, but it's yeah it is nowhere close to the size of running customs and border protection yeah, i think there's sixty thousand employees yeah, and, and, at and even just handling the budgets and everything yeah. i think he is and, and it shows that again, we we oppose his nomination mainly because of that, because of his his real lack of experience. Some of the things that he said about defending sanctuary policies uh, in in the two jurisdictions that he led in the past, Tucson and then in Richmond, California. Yeah. And and so I think he is going to be just a fish out of water when he when he gets to CBP because that is a a really big reach for him having been the police chief of a mid-sized city to now running one of the largest law enforcement organizations mm-hmm. in the country. No, I, I want to uh, touch on, you know, a little bit more in his background, more aside from this hearing. Um, you know, our legal arm early, the Immigration Reform Law Institute, did a great investigation on him. You know, we talked about this, but they found him supporting uh, sanctuary jurisdictions and private emails, also in a 2017 op-ed in, in the New York Times, uh, not supporting ICE enforcement missions, and this is also interesting, but it, you know, it's still important to highlight is that you know he's been a political activist, especially with or involved with Black Lives Matter movement, and which, as we all know, looks to defund law enforcement, something he would be in charge of. So you know that is a problem. You know, do you really want someone with those values or to be leading a large federal law enforcement agency like that? Probably not. Um, but what are some things from his past? We kind of talked about this that are concerning to you the most and that should concern Americans. I mean, again, it, it seems like the sanctuary jurisdiction support is the biggest problem. You know, also ICE enforcement missions, not supporting them. Uh, is there anything that from his past? Yeah, I, I think really the biggest thing is his support for sanctuary policies. And he, he gave out the classic line, which is that, oh, if you have sanctuary policy, if you, you know, if you have, if you don't have sanctuary policies in place, then uh, immigrants would be afraid to call the police. Mm-hmm. And that is complete nonsense. There's a new study from the Center for Immigration Studies uh, that came out, actually, that discussed this. And they found that even in cities where there were not sanctuary policies, believe it or not, the foreign-born population is more likely to report crimes to the police mm-hmm. than the native-born. And so the foreign-born includes... It includes foreign-born people that became citizens. It includes legal immigrants and it includes illegal immigrants mm-hmm. and that is i think it's it's just shocking that the left really still clings onto this idea that it, you know sanctuary we need sanctuary policies because otherwise these community you know Ill, you know aliens immigrants legal permanent residents aren't going to call the police and it's just nonsense mm-hmm. the, the data shows that so i think that is really the biggest issue with his background. And then I think, again, what we touched on is the fact that he's a small fry. He, he really hasn't, he, he's, he's done well where he's been at, you know, in his, his small city kind of environment. Um, I think, and to give him credit, I do think that I know for a fact in Richmond, crime went down and police shootings went down, which is great. Um, I'm not sure about Tucson. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but that does not necessarily translate success for yeah, a, whole different a, federal, monster. a federal immigration enforcement agency. And so 
I think he is just going to be out of his element. I don't think he's prepared to, to lead CBP in any capacity. So how do we prevent him from becoming the next CBP commissioner? What can our listeners do? This guy is clearly unfit for this role. So uh, really, it's up to you, those of you listening, to to contact your senators. Uh, particularly those of you, if any of you are listening in Arizona and West Virginia, contact Kristen Cinema, contact Joe Manchin. Uh, they are the they might be the ones that could could stall his nomination. Um, and even if you live in an area with a Republican senator, um, we we need to make sure that all Republicans are on board opposing him, and we need to make sure that the few remaining uh, moderate Democrats that are that are willing to listen to reason, if for no other reason than the fact that Chris Magnus is not qualified to lead, not not even anything on his policies. But I'm sorry, we need someone who is who is familiar with federal immigration enforcement, who has worked in an organization of CBP's size to lead that organization. Chris Magnus is not that guy. And for our listeners at home, contact your senator, tell them you do you want them to vote no on Chris Magnus's confirmation. Well said, Preston. Well, I think that's a great place to end today. This was a fantastic discussion, and I hope our listeners have a better understanding of all these current events. I know we talked on uh, a lot of different subjects, but as a reminder, we'll be releasing a new episode of this podcast every other Monday, and they're available on most platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Um, you can also access them on our website. Uh, our website is fairus.org, and we post them frequently on our Twitter page, which is at Fair Immigration. So please spread the word. Until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR. Fair.